Welcome, everyone, to episode 84 of Bumper Sticker Faith Podcast. My name is Sam, and I'm here in the studio uh, without Lewis, but he's all right. He's uh, uh, taking a, a rest from th- this ministry, <laughs> anyways. He has a lot of other ministry that he's doing, a lot of other things he part- he's participating in. Uh, but I'm here with uh, my friend, Jack Baumgartner. And Jack, welcome back to Bumper Sticker Faith. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you've, uh, you were on episode, I don't know. It, it was pretty recent that you were on. And That's right. um, got, I got I, I got good feedback from that episode. <laughs> and actually, good. one person that I got feedback from was uh, Mud Hut Illustrations, uh, Emily uh-huh. Verdine. And sure. I just did an episode uh, with her that I'll be releasing shortly as well. And, That's great. and I really she, like her work a yeah. lot. And mm-hmm. she says the same about you and just the stuff that you've shared as well. And what did she call you? She called you like the Leonardo da Vinci of Kansas, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is very humbling. I know, <laughs> but, but it, it speaks uh, a lot to um, kind of the, the things that not only your abilities and the things that you're showing, but just the, the vastness of it, um, whether it's whether it's farming or poetry or music or art, just thinking, uh, wrestling with God. And she really resonated uh, with a lot. And as did other people, as did I as well. So I really look forward to hearing your your episode with her. That'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this morning, it's morning here, almost almost noon, but um I've been, I've been wanting to talk with someone. I couldn't think of anyone better really to talk to about some ideas that have been bouncing around in my head and my soul a lot over the past decade. And then even more as AI, artificial intelligence, and um, people have been talking about that. And a lot of people are afraid of it and that. And I was listening to, it was probably a symbolic world episode with Jonathan Peugeot or some, someone like that. Uh, or maybe, I don't know what it was, but I was sitting there as they were saying, thinking, you know, what, what can we do? How can we prepare? Um, and I was just sitting there thinking like um, art and farming, like getting, getting down dirty. That's, that's the way that we can navigate in a healthy way through this from where they see it going, AI going from where I see it going. And so then uh, I sent you a voicemail, kind of a rant. I was sitting at our, we have, we live near a lake and um, I was just staring out over creation. And I just began a little rant that I sent to you where um, basically as I'm, and I'll recapture a little bit of that and we can go off of that if that's okay. But basically I, I said that, I'm looking out over this beautiful scene of this lake and, you know, you see ducks and seaweed and mud and the sky and all this. And I was like, God's words created this, like words create the world. And, and that's in a very real sense, uh, the world creation is made up of words and it, it, it kind of has to be that way. God spoke, there was something. And when we look at God's creation, we see his words, I guess you would say we see his words in flesh because I think like words are always seeking flesh. They're always seeking to be embodied 
uh, to express themselves, to be, to become that. And that's John 1, 14 and the word became flesh. Um, in the same way that like a painting is composed of paint, but it's also composed of the logos as well, because you have this idea that you have, that the artist has this vision, this word, and, he, and it, and it seeks ex- expression and the painting in a, in a real sense is composed of, of, of words. And so is God's creation. And, um, like I've said in our last episode, we theologians and church people have kind of dumbed down that notion. Uh, maybe they didn't do it on purpose, but they've called it, they've called that aspect of God's revelation, general revelation. So you have God's special re- revelation, which is his Bible and the words mm-hmm. that he has spoken through uh, scripture. But then you have general revelation and that covers how creation speaks to us. But I, I've been passionate, people know this, but I've been passionate about really digging down deeper into the general revelation and saying, no, like Romans 1 says that God speaks to all people everywhere through his creation such that they're without excuse. Like we hear God's message all the time to the point that we're without excuse. And Uh as I look at creation, um, I don't just see this general message of, oh, there must be a God, but I see very specific messages when I look at creation. I see, I see life, I see death, I see resurrection. You see it every day when the sun, right, when the sun goes down and when it comes up. You see it in, in, the, in the seaweed that I'm having to clear off of, of the lake so people can swim. You see it in the decay, you see life, death, and resurrection. And I just, I, I get concerned when we, as a culture, as a society, are cutting ourselves off from God speaking to us in his creation. When, when uh, we're, we're, we live in air-conditioned houses, when our, our bare feet never touch the ground. I mean, in the, in the suburbs of Chicago where I'm at, maybe you, you don't want to, but I was saying to, this, to my son the other day as we were just in our suburban neighborhood walking around bare feet, barefoot, mm-hmm. I said, and we were doing it on purpose, <laughs> I said, it's rare that your people's feet ever touch the ground again. We're, we're like, we're, we're cut off. And when we think of entertainment, we think of screens. When we think of work, we just think of, of office work. Uh, when we think of being refreshed, we think of going indoors to Starbucks. And uh-huh. um, we're not allowing God's voice to speak to us in creation. And, and, uh, and I'll pause here with this, but we're losing uh, a sense of integrity uh, and wholeness that we get from listening to God, God's message, God's word in his creation. And um, uh, um, yeah. it's not good for us. It's not good for <laughs> us at all. And so I thought um, Jack Baumgartner is somebody who is very much in creation and aware of the rhythms of what God has made as, as a farmer and as an artist. And you would be, I'm sure you have several ideas about this. Yeah. I mean, yeah, more than maybe more than several, but <laughs> uh, I mean, so much so it's hard to know where to begin. But um, I, it's one of the things that I just just listening to you talk just now, a few things that that struck me. Um, you know, uh, I mean, dirt, dirt is always good medicine, mm. and uh, it, it. I think it's. You know, we 
people are understanding that maybe a little more. Um, just there's obviously been some studies where, you know, kids that are, um, you know, how, how their immune system is affected, especially if a, a kid's has grown up in a rural mm. environment and spent time in a barn. And my wife was talking about a study she heard that that was related to that, you know, that these children that had grown up in a barn and like being exposed to the specifically like a barn with animals in it, you know, and how that, how their immune system was, had responded so much differently than, than children who had not had that exposure to all of that microbiology. And, um, you know, those, th those things like that. So obviously that's, that's, a, that's a, a dynamic that people are aware of. Um, and we're aware of the fact of, you know, our, our, uh, how our obsession almost with antibiotic, um, <laughs> you know, everything, you know, which reemerged of course, during, during the pandemic, you know, um, so it would, but that <laughs> I'm not always sure that we're doing ourselves a favor with all of that. Um, you know, safety is, uh, safe, safety as opposed to, um, well, it, as opposed to life, you know? <laughs> yeah. There's life. more than one kind of safety. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, but, um, you talked about, you used the metaphor, you talked a little bit about painting, you know, being like words. And I think the other interesting thing about paint, you know, painting is also dirt, you know, mm. it's colored dirt mixed with mm. uh, more or less, you know, yeah. in a, as a painter, we, I had a painting teacher that would jo just kind of would laugh to himself and like, we're just pushing colored dirt around, mm. you know, <laughs> wow. and there, there, there's something really, um, really wonderful about you know that that that's that that's how these these beautiful things that to me are like jewels you know and i look at paintings um that i really admire you know they're they're like jewels um they're so multifaceted and luminous and all this light and uh you know just like a jewel kind of has this eternal quality like a mm -hmm. gemstone that's been cut and it's like you can see the universe in it you know mm -hmm. um so good painting is like that you know uh, oil painting that has the even has these qualities of light and um so that so but it all comes from again like oil and dirt and dirt yeah. <laughs> you know these humble things these humble things of the earth that we use. Right. And if you don't accept that dirt part of you, you'll never get to the painting. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, and there's some really great books. There's, Oh, there's a, there's a gal on Instagram that I follow and she just published a book and I need to, I, it's my, I, I keep having to restrict how many books I buy. Cause there's just, <laughs> it's, 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 it's tough, you know? Um, because there's so many great things that people are doing and making, but she, she, um, um, Heidi Lynn, um, can't think of her last name, but I'll, I'll see if I can find it at some point. 
but she just her whole she just studies earth pigments and goes around the world and gathers just all there's just this unbelievable nuance hmm. uh, even like um iron, like iron oxide which is a super basic pigment um that we get browns and reds mm-hmm. and blacks and green. I mean, just it, so the range that she finds and celebrates, you know, is is really beautiful and wonderful. Um, it's just this pathway mm-hmm. um, to God. From <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so, so I really love like how you talk about the words. It's really a great like connecting point when you said like you know painting is like words. And, and words are like dirt. I mean, it's just, it's a circle, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that's really incredible. Um, so I, uh, I'm hitting all these points kind of quickly right now. Uh, thinking about, you know, again, going back to dirt, there's another rant uh, that I really, really love um that uh of john steinbeck in mm-hmm. his book Tra- travels with charlie which is an which is a really fascinating book to read it's this kind of segment and in, in time in the history of america where he sets off and drives across the country in a in a pickup truck with a camper on the back with his uh standard poodle named charlie and so he just writes it's just an account of this trip across the country and it's really fascinating obviously steinbeck is an incredible observer Mm -hmm. and incredible writer and so he lived you know he just camped in the back of his truck and he got he got to the point at one point he wanted to take a shower or something and so he checked into a hotel any in any everything in the hotel is wrapped in paper or plastic and has a little sign that says sanitized for your protection and so he just he gets really he's like i never asked for this i never asked to be protected from all of you know and it's his cup you know that's all wrapped and sanitized for his protection and and then he describes this he says you know he's talking about this cup and he says the best drink of water I ever had was out of this was in a tent of a Bedouin in the desert of Africa, and the, this cup was it was like green glass. He said you couldn't even see through it anymore. It was so dirty, and it had probably never been washed. <laughs> but like they offered him a drink of water, you know, from this cup, and he's like, it was the best drink of water mm-hmm. I've ever had just making this point of like what there was the hospitality that there's so much story in that cup, you know, that it happened in the desert in this tent. It was maybe the only cup that they owned, you know, and it was, it's just such a, that's always been a really important story to me. It seems really foundational of like, what, what are we looking at, you know, in terms of, um you know safe synthetic things safe things that are safe or guaranteed mm-hmm. versus the bedouins green glass cup you know mm-hmm. that's that just has 
you know, decades of, of grime in it, but, but there was, but that cup had love, Mm -hmm. the cup had relationship, you know, all these things that we miss when we sanitize everything. So it's really becomes a metaphor, you know, for something, but it's a living metaphor because it's not removed, you know, it's not just, it's not removed from what, from what it is, Mm -hmm. you know, that there is. People could mm-hmm. be listening and thinking, like, I just want to pause on that and mm-hmm. and challenge some assumptions because there's assumptions lying behind. Because people may listen and say, why would I want to drink out of a dirty cup? And you, you know, ask them why. And they say, because, and the assumption is, it's not safe, I'll get sick, right? Mm-hmm. Or it's gross. But that's just answering, and it's assuming one thing. And that's like, the it's elevating um, to the top of your hierarchy, the top of your list, safety as a number one thing or not getting sick as a number one thing. And that's what you basically bow down and worship. And, but there's these other things that you're missing. Like what if your assumption at the top of your hierarchy was like you said, community wanting to, uh, have, have fellowship and serious communion and, and feel the, the love of a community giving you their only cup well, if that's the case, yeah, I'll drink out of that all day because because that's that's what I want and that's what I'll be getting from that cup. Or you could elevate, you know, other things to that too. I I want to pause there, like I said, to help people see that see the assumptions th- that they're um, bowing down to every day, uh, especially yeah. when it comes to um, sanitary <laughs> issues, especially yeah. or the need to control things or the need to make everything quick and efficient. There's a certain set of beliefs and assumptions that you're bowing down to, whether you realize it or not. And your perspective, this other perspective is just challenging that and saying, no, there's, there's things that you're missing that you will miss out on. Right. Yeah. And there's a, there's a degree where you have to withhold, you have to withhold some judgment, you know, um, and, and it's not, I don't think that means you go into to it blindly, mm-hmm. you know, per, per se. But when you, I think you, with those assumptions come the judgment of clean or unclean, right? Mm-hmm. In that way of, or good or bad, good, this is good and this is bad. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a context where, um that's appropriate to do but i also think that it we slip into it so easily that i think in like the nature of the conversation that we want to have about um artificial intelligence for example or dirt (laughs) (laughs) um and how how to how to navigate dirt (laughs) how to navigate decay or how to navigate Mm -hmm. entropy Mm -hmm. or risk or like, how do you hold safety in one hand and, and like, um, risk taking in the other? And what is, what are, what are both of those really ultimately talking about? Um, and so there's, um, so you sometimes, like, for me, like this, there's, it's really a big part of my journey is about, you know, God kind of constantly really pushing on me to withhold my judgment about something. 
um, so that I can really listen to what, like to, I can really hear his voice and somewhere that was unexpected, mm -hmm. you know, to hear his voice. And so maybe like, you know, I appreciate John Steinbeck's wisdom to withhold his judgment about the cup he was offered, you know, mm. and to, and it, and immediately like by doing that, all of a sudden it becomes, you know, you, you go through a door of a full, a, a more full, a more rich experience. And that there's all of a sudden common ground between, you know, there's relationship and intimacy between him and his host mm -hmm. you know that this beautiful thing is being offered you know that this cup because to me like those things you can say say something is dirty or you can say or you can realize i would i think about tools in this way um the uh and mm -hmm. i think i think roy underhill talks about this in one of his books he's a uh they call the woodworkers call him Saint Roy, patron saint of hand tools. So he had a show on PBS for years and years called the Woodwright Shop, and um, and he was in in the great like desert of power tools. He was the one guy <laughs> out there that celebrated handwork and found other people that were doing it and had him on this this TV show that he did. And but um, he, in one of his books, he you know so. In one, I have one woodworking tool is a hand is a, a hand plane, mm -hmm. so it's it's a tool for uh, for smoothing wood, right? Um, flattening wood, um, and there's all different scales and sizes of the of a hand plane for doing a different different types of work. And um, but the great thing about the wooden ones and even the metal ones of any tool that's been used for a long time you can sometimes find, and I have in my shop, I have these, some of these old wooden body planes that I use. And there's, if you think about when you're holding something and there, there's these wear patterns of use of where the fingers <laughs> polish part of it, where you're holding it. And as they polish, they're also like pushing this layer of dirt and oil and grease away. So you have these, this story being told of like how this person's hand held this for a year for a really long time and there's almost this glow mm. of lighter wood where the hands held it mm. and um mm. and but but it's all defined by where the dirt is and where the um you know i i, I always laugh because my my I, my studio is right next to my wood shop and so I have my computer here and my keyboard is, um, I don't know, if, uh, it's, I don't know how, <laughs> yeah. I've even cleaned it fairly recently, yeah. but it, it gets so dirty. Um, cause I'll come in from working on a machine or doing something that, uh, but it's like, it's that same thing where there's, but there's all these stories of my hands mm -hmm. imprinted on here. It's not at quite the same level as the, the, the like or a, a shovel that's been well taken care of and used and it has just that part of the handle is way as smoother from the mm -hmm. use um i mean it, it sounds like something really insignificant but like it's I, for me it is something that's really really 
a big deal mm -hmm. <laughs> and it it surpasses like it talks about and the reason i'm talking about it now before i get off what too far down the rabbit trail of, of these things of tools is that it it at at first glance it just looks like a dirty a old dirty tool until you withhold your judgment that it's not dirty it's not just a dirty tool but there's there's a story or sometimes many stories being told um, through this tool and how it was used and the people that used it and mm. and and it goes so much deeper because there's even there's all these un it, you you pass into the realm of the of things that are unspoken or unsayable about what it means to to labor um you know what it means to use your hands um to be a, a steward so it really applies directly to our conversation about um what's happening and how we're made how we're you know for me labor is not something that i do to secure provision um you know a long time ago i decided to to that, that wasn't the first you know we always think about the curses that were placed on you know on cain or on adam and eve about well you you blew it so now you're gonna have to work for your bread you know mm -hmm. by the sweat of your brow um and we forget that labor existed before that yep. you know labor still existed in the garden before those things labor the original invitation of labor i think was one of intimacy and relationship where you're ex you're encountering you know you're the the you're encountering the that spoken word you know like the, that that incarnation like god's incarnation in the earth itself and so that labor was originally it wasn't about provision it was it's about intimacy you know for me i think that that's really a big part of a core kind of part mm -hmm. of my uh what i don't you know philosophy <laughs> i never know what to call that stuff it's just part of who i am right and and it's so those when when i see a well-used shovel um or some other fascinating tool it's it's this it reflects all of that um and it's this something that is carry has this inherent dignity mm. about it you know and it becomes an art form and uh, this you know great object kind of in and of its of itself and that's a lot of like when I talk about the like the spiritual mechanics of labor, um, you know, that's what. Oh, sorry, I I'm, I have the most obnoxious ring <laughs> ringtone I can get so that I can hear it above um, farming equipment when I'm, when I'm farming. Yeah, yeah, so I could actually tell if my phone's ringing. Um, uh, now I've lost my train of thought. 
the spiritual mechanics the, of labor. Right. Yeah. The spiritual mechanics of labor. So the, those things are symbols of that, right? You know, all those tools are symbols of that relationship um, of what, of what, what's kind of going on. And, um, and that to me, like takes me right back to the very beginning of, of what it means to be in the garden because I'm just not interested in, I'm just not interested in living under the curse <laughs> anymore. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that that's what we're in, you know, I, I don't think that I think I'm more, I'm interested in the tree of life. Mm -hmm. um, and so that all those things speak about that. I, there was a cup, there was a quote from this, there's this, there's, I, I got this book out um, to share a few things from it. This mm -hmm. is called Sproutlands, and it's by an author named William Bryant Logan, and he's um, he's an arborist in in uh, upstate New York, and he's written a number of really interesting books that, and I love his writing and his perspective, but this particular one, Sproutlands is about um, the craft of like pollarding and coppicing mm -hmm. trees. So basically that's when a tree gets to a certain age and you cut it back. And then it, you know, there's all these dormant buds and trees. And so when you coppice a tree, you're cutting it down to at ground level. And when you pollard a tree, you're cutting it you know, but, you know, you're leaving some section of trunk and some of the oldest trees around, you know, it, the, the roots are kind of, in a way, it's a way of preserving the life of a tree, you know, trees that have been pollarded can be thousands of years mm -hmm. old. Um, and, but it was, it was an agricultural system originally, and he really explores that. And it's something that not that many people do anymore or think about anymore um, or understand. And, uh, but he just, he goes through and talks ab about his, he's traveled through and met all these people doing different things. And so it's a really rich, rich book that has a lot of kind of playing fields for like what's going on. Um, but I, I think there was this idea, one of the things that I, why I wanted to bring him up in relationship to this, the conversation with like artificial intelligence mm -hmm. and, and um, like, you know, not even just to kind of pin the tail on artificial intelligence. There's a lot more besides that, that we, you know, we could look further into and see what the roots are there that we're kind of up against as a culture, maybe. Um, but he talks about, he always uses this term, the resistant materials, hmm. um, which is always really fascinating when he, he, he never is in anything that I've read is he's never explained what he means by that, okay. but I've come across it in a number of his books and I, I wish I knew him so I could reach out and say like, what is, so I've had to kind of develop my own mm -hmm. feeling thoughts about about what these, what he means by resistant or what I think, how I now feel about the resistant mm -hmm. material just become part of my own lexicon of thought and engagement with, 
with all these things that I do. Um, and so he's, he's talking about this, um, the watching this guy make an ax and, um, that there's this kind of idea that, you know, more is, more is, is going on. So he says, the work in which the head and the heart and the hand participate at once yields the only objective knowledge. Like this idea that not your, what we think of as knowledge, you know, we always think of it as knowing about something in terms of, you know, intellectually. And we forget that, our, you know, that there's a whole body of, of, of hands and feet and eye. I mean, this whole sensory kind of package that, that is designed to know. Yep. And, um, and to know is really more like in a biblical yeah. kind of idea. Like there's it, to know is something way bigger. Yeah. Penetrating. Far, <laughs> even. Yeah. Far more intimate. Yeah. And, and so when we talk about like, so I, I, so he, you know, he talks about with labor, you know, it's the head and the heart and the hand mm -hmm. that are participating. And it's, it's through that, that, that is yielding real, what, not, what really is knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's not just mm. stored in your head, it's stored also in your hands. It's even stored in those tools. In the tools, yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I was like, I was sharpening my lawnmower blade the other, you know, at the beginning of the season and, you know, putting everything back together. Not that that's a big chore, but putting everything back together. It's like, how, how did this go on? But you look at the tool itself to see where it's worn, where it's shiny. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, that's how that went. The memory was, I mean, I could have taken a picture of it, but I didn't want to do that. You know, I, I wanted to look at the tool itself and see where the memory of the, 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 the way it should go should be. Yeah. No, that's a really great example, actually, because um, you're just there. It's telling you it's communicating with you. Right. Yep. And so and I think that's what this idea of resistance is. And in a lot of ways, it's what that is about, you know, and why. And I think why resistance is such a fascinating thing is like in a lot of ways, we it's it goes back to withholding judgment again. Right. Because we automatically take, think of resistance as an, as something negative, yep. something to be avoided. Yep. Um, and so we want everything to be, to be easy mm -hmm. or given to us. Um, I mean, even, even though I know and like made a discipline of, of not feeling that way, I still want that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I still want things to just be handed to me. Um, the path of least resistance. Yeah. Yeah. But, 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 but real, the tech, the real technology of resistance. Um, and when I say technology, like for me, technology is something way 
much richer and a much broader way of talking about like, you know, my, my website or is called the school of the transfer of energy, um, that I've had for a long time. And before that, the school for the transfer of energy was before I ever had even electricity or the internet, you know, back mm. from those days mm. when I was living without all that stuff mm-hmm. and that that was a way of like technology is in a way of like that's what that's talking about how energy is transferred Hmm. Uh, and so that's it's a real fundamental idea of so to me like technologies are not just the modern conveniences that use um you know computers or something Mm -hmm. like that but a technology is you know a much bigger thing uh, of how the world works you know and so um thinking about how that resistance then is a kind of a a divine technology to what you know sometimes it's easy to see in the sense of growth you know people see it use resistance and strength training mm, yeah um, yep. you know and then of course paul you know talks about resistance in that way yep. as a metaphor for growing spiritually um but i i think there's 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 so much beauty that comes through resistance um and and it becomes in a sense of like resistance again starts to talk you know to come into relationship with with risk um and all these place things that like where do you have to go to 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 get beauty um and Beauty is a, an, again, another word that we throw around a lot right now. You know, it's really easy. It's a real easy comment to type in on Instagram. You know, that's beautiful. Mm. And I always like find myself thinking like, how do I qualify that more? You know, like when I say like to somebody like, wow, what you've made is really beautiful. I don't, I, I'm, I don't want it to just be an offhand comment, mm-hmm. you know? I, what am I, what do I mean when I say that's beautiful? You know, it's vibrating with a frequency, you know, it's, it's really vibrating with this frequency of, of life and energy that is to me is connected to a deep, like the deeper source of God's heart. And so how, how, what is that, you know, how do you communicate that, you know, that and when words just get overused or easy to rattle off? Um, so I, it, anyways, <laughs> the, but why I, when I talk about like the resistance and the risk and, um, and things like that is what I think, I feel like you have to go to those places to, to, you know, not always, you know, do you have to, but 
like raising children. Children is a good example, right? If you just give them everything, you go through stages, like my youngest kid, I do everything for my two-year-old, mm -hmm. you know? Um, he needs help with everything. But my 16-year-old is to the point now, like you were talking about your lawnmower blades or these things where he 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 understands enough now that he wants things to be difficult. Mm. He wants he doesn't want me to help. He'll if he can get away with not reading the instructions. If for him it's an adventure. It's not. It's not like I know it. I don't need the instructions. It's more of for him. It's the adventure of can I figure this out? Mm -hmm. And and but part of that there's there's so much going on there in terms of him becoming who he's designed to be mm -hmm. so he's embracing those risks he's embracing a, a certain lack of provision you know that that and i'm withholding a provision i mm -hmm. could go in and be you know well this is what you need to mm -hmm. do and he gets really mad at me if i go and like try and tell him things like well he should try this or um or what do you, you know, it's, he, he really wants the experience mm -hmm. and of, of learning how to do it himself and has really recognized that in himself as something that's really life-giving. Yep. Uh, and I think that is connected again to like that true objective knowledge. And for me, it's, when what you talk about, you know, like general revelation, for example, um, if we're, we're going to talk about general revelation and we're going to talk about resistant materials, mm -hmm. all these things that we're using, um, steel, for example, right? Um, if you're working on an engine or if you're working, if you're building something, if you're welding or forging something, you know, there's all of these qualities in that steel, how the, how the, the how it was, um, you know, whether it's, you know, for, it has a grain, the, how the crystals are, you know, the crystal structure of the steel, depending on like whether it's tempered or what it's been tempered in, what type of, how much carbon is in it, you know, all these different things that affect how it works when our all go back to God spoke, these are like, it's his breath, you know? So everything is an access point, whether, and it doesn't even, and I don't think it has to be like a tangible, you know, I need to like figure out how, what this is saying about God. Mm -hmm. I think, I think it's some degree of entering into the rest that that material is exists in being mm -hmm. a part of God's breath and a part of who God is. And so, you know, again, it's it, cause it defies language, right? It defies the knowledge of I'm going to, I'm going to just because I can talk about it doesn't mean I know it, but when you go in and work with it with your hands and you feel like, how this, how iron responds when it's been heated up or, you know, how, how, what this color of red 
how how much hammering time you have left yeah. before you have to heat it up again or this orange color or you know or the there's just all of this that gets absorbed into mm-hmm. your your who you are and it and it's more it's always more than the sum kind of of its parts sort of thing right so it's not just saying like well it's good to be useful mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's good that he's learning something so that he can be a useful contributor to to society um that's fine that's really great actually but there's so but there's more going on there in my opinion mm-hmm. that is if you let it <laughs> If you let it be uh, and you know kind of an on ramp or a an act, a point of invitation um, that it there's it's just being who we are mm-hmm. um so on some level, it's a really simple thing let me, um, let me pause and see if I have my mind around this um one thought occurred to me that I remember this dawning on me just just recently, and I don't know why it ever never dawned on me before, but I took had to take Latin in high school, and I remember learning uh, the Latin word for beautiful is bella. Mm-hmm. And um, it just dawned on me the other day that the Latin word for war, which is the ultimate resistance, is bella. <laughs> it's, it's the same word. I'm pretty sure about that. I haven't checked, but but the same word Bella for war, the ultimate kind of resistance, the ultimate fight battle is the same word for beautiful. Uh, there, there is something to that with re- resistant materials, things that are resistant and um, things that, I don't know, truly do manifest themselves in beauty in you and... And even like with whether it's your, the, your planing tool or changing the lawnmower blades, yes, like you can look at the thing itself and see it shiny and know the blade goes on that way, but it's changed you as well, right? So it ha- just hasn't changed the object, the steel, but it's changed you as well. Um, and think of God's work in our lives and his hands, if if we're like a tool, you know, in the Bible, it says that he uses people as tools, but his hands on you, I mean, that, that shapes and beautifies you to his wear marks on your life, you know, the oil and the sweat of his love, uh, on your life. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah. I, I want, I, yeah, I think that's really great. It is that idea of, you know, having those handprints and that involves, you know, I think Job, Job is a, a, a maybe a really good ex- uh, person and story to look at in relationship to resistance, you know, and especially like looking at the level of resistance that, that <laughs> is, is kind of, leveraged against Job, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> leveraged against Job for Job's sake to, and it's like, it's like God is, uses that. You, I mean, in, in so many, like 
all the uncomfortable ways we could probably even ever imagine it is like he's leveraging Joe closer to using um, profound resistance, um, you know, of great tragedy in his life and these things that happen to him. And, and God's response is to just say, you know, when he comes down and like, and, and just unfolds creation, mm. speak in a, in this really, uh, in a, in a really beautiful way. Like he, what I, I think it's really telling that of what God himself pulls on to draw Job deeper into, into a kind of a, a more, because, you know, unspoken knowledge, it's, it's always this idea of like unknowing, right? <clears throat> because Job's friends all know, they all know everything. They all have the right answers. Yeah. You know? They have good bumper sticker faith. Yeah. <laughs> that analogy that you, yeah. you know, have there of they, they've got all those, they know the right answers and, but like hmm. all the right answers come like butting up against the behemoth and the Leviathan mm, general revelation. <laughs> you know, yeah. All these things. And it's like, and I, to me, when, one of the things that I thought when you, when you first sent me your, the, just your thoughts and that, in the, um, in that voice memo is, you know, we often, we think when we think of like, general revelation or I always like, I always think like the terms that I put it in is, um, the idea like creation is the first Bible. Mm. <laughs> you know, I heard, mm -hmm. I heard that at one point and I really, I remember really like the first time I ever heard that expression and, and, uh, I don't even remember now where I heard it, but I think you know, Francis, it's a, the Franciscans use that mm -hmm. a lot, you know, so, and it, it's de decidedly a Franciscan in its spirit and nature, of course. Um, and uh, I remember just like, oh yeah, that's, I, my whole being responds to, to that, you know, because that's how I've always felt. But then like the, my, my um, evangelical upbringing and or Protestant upbringing, mm -hmm. like Sola Scriptura, <laughs> like mm -hmm. it is like, <clears throat> can you really say, is that really okay? <laughs> is it really okay to say that? Um, so, because, you know, the Bible is preeminent. Um, and I, I remember thinking like, well, you know, it's interesting that we use, you know, we, you know, the Bible is all about Christ. So there's, you look, people can look, go back and say like, this is kind of, this is my thought process that I was going through at the time of the whole of the old Testament is telling this story and prophesying Christ. So you can go back and just find Christ everywhere mm -hmm. in the old Testament. And so I thought, well, then, then he should be everywhere in creation as well. And, um, 
you know, and that's where things like we talked about the calcium cycle last time. Yeah. And, but the, the, the thing, the un, undeniable like reality of redemptive death in how life works on planet mm -hmm. earth is and, and even beyond into the universe itself mm -hmm. <laughs> you know i mean redemptive death is a like it's is, is like such a foundational foundational principle um that is utterly beautiful mm -hmm. you know and maybe that's that when you look at the fact that the and that's why i love the dung beetle so much you mm -hmm. know and one of the reasons why it because it it really does talk about you know nothing is wasted um yeah. in the sense of it is the, the the basis for fertility is is decomposition yep. you know and the interaction and how like how minerals that were taken up and made available through the decomposition in the first place you know through microbial action through enzymes through um you know fungus all of, all of these systems even just erosion itself you know mm -hmm. even entropy you know the thing we flee from entropy mm -hmm. breaking down um and that it's it's really this beautiful um cycle of redemptive death that's always happening yeah what i think of it as i i'm i try to f i don't know if fight's the right word but uh, i don't like pitting the bible and general revelation against each other i i very much want to preserve preserve fight for the bible and the word we need that obviously i think but then also now i'm lately been fighting for this general revelation of god because I do believe you can see the death, birth, you can see death, uh, life, death, and resurrection in creation. But it's to me, it's like, let's say you read the Gospels for the first time. Uh, you're reading Luke for the first time. And Jesus is saying all these cryptic things. There's these cryptic analogies. Or he's re or you're reading John and he says, he's like, a seed must go down and die. you know. And you're like reading these things and you don't quite get it. Or he says, uh, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. You don't get it. Not until you get to the end where he's revealed through his resurrection. And then we're meant to reread the Bible with the knowledge that he's going to come back to life, that there is resurrection. And then suddenly, ah, oh, all this makes sense now. And that's how you're supposed to read scripture, the whole Bible, in fact. But I think uh, we can apply the same principle to creation now that we scripture has given us the ultimate version of it, and that's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, I want to then go back to every square inch of life and and find him there, find his life, death, and resurrection proclaimed. And you can do that in a with, with a dung beetle or with a calcium cycle. I, I think it's interesting with, um, like, it's it's funny because I'm in a I'm in a funny spot where I like where I'm feel where I find myself up against all kinds of like things and it's just a, it's kind of a whether it's a byproduct of just where I am in my journey and so I I I'm, I I always in, I in, 
I find I'm trying to find the right words, but mm-hmm. yes, but it's always like I'm up against these things and, um, and it's, and it's a lot of times it's up against things that, that I find myself up against things that I've always supported or believed or I'm not that leave me feeling really uncomfortable even Mm -hmm. of like what do I do with this or why am I up against up against this and that that phrase up against is the one that I constantly use that I'm constantly asking God like what is this about you know why am I why am I why am I up against this like what's going on what am I supposed to see here and so like this idea of like one of those things is is that like like for me what I, this idea of you know where i really want to push per, for where my right now is like this the preeminence of the preeminence of and and I'll, it's going to be hard i'm gonna, it'll be i'll do my best to try and hard to say what i mean <laughs> is the preeminence of creation over what we call what we call the Bible, mm-hmm. and 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 the hard thing when you use language like that, it it is it's like well I'm I'm saying well what do you you know are you saying this is better or that this doesn't isn't good, and that's not that's definitely not where I'm trying to go with it. It's more of, it's maybe more of a way that like, how do I draw attention to the fact that um, when I, like, what does preeminent mean? And in some ways it just means first. Mm-hmm. Um, and to even, to go back to the beginning of our conversation with the word becoming, you know, the beginning was the word and the word was, God, the word was with God and, um, like all of that, I think, and then when, you know, when you look at Genesis, the story in Genesis, and of course we're pulling, we're pulling on all this, um, rich story that we have in the text to even talk about all of this Mm -hmm. stuff. So it's a huge gift to have Mm -hmm. that language, um, and that, but I, but I think, and we we have to use the story itself. And you know, for me, it's like I'm I I I'm so desired to take what these things seriously, and I find that everywhere I end up is a result of me taking something as seriously as I can. And so, if if I if I really take seriously that this how what conclusions do I, do I, where do I end up with? And I think that's why, where I end up having to call God everything, or I end up saying that creation is the, is preeminent in its status as the word of God. Um, and that there's, really big implications there for us in terms of like the invitation to know him Mm -hmm. in the ways that we've been talking about 
and not to rule anything else out. Like it's more to to take more in and to encounter um, aspects of the vastness of God's personality that we miss out on. And the fact that uh, I think about one of the things I think about with, for, ex for example, with the idea of the word is that these things are spoken. I remember having kind of realizing at one point that all my life, I always used the idea of like, well, God spoke creation into being. It was so, he's so powerful that all he had to do was speak. And it was like, it was a way of saying, look, look at how easy it was for God mm -hmm. to do that. Um, and then at the, but at the same time, you start to realize what John is saying about what, what those words are or who those words are, mm. all of a sudden it becomes like, he's, it's not like he's just flippantly creating, mm -hmm. he's pouring himself. Like it's a, to as it's a, to uh, create a, uh, this tremendous act of creative vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And God making himself so uh, um, <laughs> so I don't know, I just I lack the words <clears throat> or the wisdom to be able to to say it, but it it's becomes this deeply, and I, and I think that's where, when I even think of like putting, well, is he, is it powerful or is it vulnerable as if those two cancel each other out and they mm -hmm. don't, mm -mm. Because I think we, we, we always think of power as strength, mm -hmm. you know, or that, or that strength is maybe like, we have these ideas of what the ultimate manifestation of mm -hmm. power is. And we forget that the ultimate manifestation of power is love, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so like you, then all of a sudden they, they, the two become one of it is this tremendous act of power, but it's love. Mm -hmm. It's deeply vulnerable. And, and, and it's this, and it, it's this huge, to me, it's like God, to, it's this incredible risk, this place of, because vulnerability is, is in risk of what if it doesn't work? Mm -hmm. What, what if there, what if, and we see all, all right away that in a way it doesn't work mm -hmm. <laughs> immediately, yeah, yeah. immediately misunderstanding creeps in as an artist like that. I'm, I'm always like, afraid so afraid of what if people don't understand what i'm trying to say what if they don't understand my heart what if they don't see my heart in all of this and it's the one of the scariest things for me personally as an as an artist or is now and i'm in this season of like really coming out and saying what i feel mm -hmm. <laughs> about things instead of just making art about it is i've and I, I feel like a great solidarity in a way with, with God in the sense of, okay, he embraced this deep 
the vulnerability, this potential for understanding, misunderstanding, this potential for failure. Um, I, I have to do the same thing. You know, I have to take that same risk of, you know, to build this art, so to speak. And um, so I think I have to really, for, that's, I really have to take that seriously and say, if this is a great act of creative vulnerability, I want to see it for what it is. I want to know. Um, and so that's why when I get, why I take things like um, the resistant materials so seriously was because I, not only do I expect or just want to see God in those things or encounter God in those things, um, you know, there's, there's, t there's many occasions where I have, and I, and I don't think, and I think that's like a really big invitation for all of humanity, you know, um, to, to do things and with, and it's, it's about like, um, if we can maybe talk about the artificial intelligence side of things of um, this in the sense of there's something like one of the things that I notice about it, or I think as artists like kind of react in a way of, well, it's, it's kind of like cheating mm -hmm. to make a, just give a prompt to um, an artificial intelligence platform and it generates this. And then you call it, say that you created it. Um, Cause it's so easy. And it's almost like what it's, it's almost like we're saying like, that's what God did <laughs> when he created the earth in a simple way versus, well, what if it's this tremendous resistance? What if there was resistance there and he poured himself in through that resistance mm -hmm. to make something beautiful? I'm, I'm so much more interested in hmm. that being part of God's story mm -hmm. than something that was e easy for him. Certainly he didn't. I mean, even when you just look at, at scripture, certainly he didn't, um, it didn't manifest itself as easy to him. Now, whether or not, you know, I, I guess I'm not going to get into whether or not it was easy or not for him, you know, his power and that, but yeah. putting all that aside, the thing sure. took 66 some chapters you know, <laughs> or books to get done. You know, it took um, all this mess, this calling this people, all this drama of redemption, this exile, this wilderness, him working, fighting gods, um, just the whole dying on a cross, all that. It, it, it sure didn't look like it was easy <laughs> right. to create yeah. and to recreate. You know, and if we take if we take that revelation and just really think and meditate on it, um, yeah, that does that that maybe there's something to what you're saying. Well, I mean, it's interesting when you think like I always am captivated baited by that phrase, you know, before he was crucified before the foundations of the earth. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and for me I always think of that. I mean, you can think of foundations in the sense of like the foundation, like the act of, like the moment of it coming together, being founded, or a foundation of this 
great platform of stability mm-hmm. that is built on. But before those was so like this, there's the crucifixion becomes this eternal, yeah, something that's eternal. And that was in one of your poems that you, um, where you're before the foundation of the world, but you portrayed the crucifixion there. Am yeah, I, I think I'm yeah. remembering that the right way. And it's it's such a like it seems, and I feel like. What, what is one of the beautiful things I love about like the Bible and what's happening and how there are all the, everything's happening before it happens, mm. you know, like David happens before Christ. For sure. There, there's these, you know, even David goes through the garden of Gethsemane with Absalom. Mm. Before, and it, That's like, right. it's just one example. Like there's all these things that happen and it's just, Oh, it's just this beautiful cycle, you mm. know, and, and so it's just showing me about time that like that time is unfolds in a different way than how I've what how I mm-hmm. normally seen it as like this linear linear terminal thing, mm-hmm. you know. And so I now I really see it as this you know a helix that's mm-hmm. moving. Or um, especially the Book of Revelation. I mean, having that principle yeah. in mind is a must for that one or or at least like at least like time from our perspective may be different from god's perspective too there may be two different like it could be more like uh you look at a helix maybe from the side you can see one form but if you look at it from above it just looks like a whole circle (laughs) you know right yeah well and that's i think that's the great that's the i think that's why it's so important to cultivate perspective Mm -hmm. because things do look different from different perspectives and you can do you can take anything and make something big disappear behind it um depending on your perspective you know Mm -hmm. and um and even even leverage if you think about leverage itself as a sort of a physical perspective you know when Mm -hmm. which you levers to move things um but you're using perspective in a physical sense, um, to transfer, mm-hmm. you know, motion. Um, but I think that idea of him, of that, these things happening before it's, and I think maybe one of the things I need to, I, th- I think through like talking through things often, I realize, oh, this is really important. I need to clarify that certain things. Um, and one of the things that I, I think is an important point of clarification sometimes that, because I know that like some of the things I say can be, are kind of uncomfortable or like push, like I said, pushing against certain things. Mm. And, and I think there's maybe like one of the distinctions I, I want to find a way to make is between, there's a difference maybe between theological language and mystical language. Mm -hmm. And that theological language has one purpose, mystical language has another purpose, mm-hmm. you know, and they cross over and inform each other. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I have to like say something in a difficult way. It's to get to have it to understand that maybe maybe it's even just like to real to to help me recognize that my perspective needs to be adjusted, you know? Um, I think of like the theological language 
of what we're talking about is uh, the eternal generation of Christ. I mean, that's uh-huh. a theological term, the eternal generation of Christ. What does that mean? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you need mystical language to even to begin to, to, to approach that. But it is that sense of uh, Christ is always coming out of eternally being generated. You know, the crucifixion is always happening in, in a sense that, that from the foundation of the world and, and yeah. always will be. And, and it's a, and that is to me, like, that's a deeply mystical idea. Mm-hmm. And because what that does is it sets up when I think about mysticism, one of the like primary kind of principles that I it, it think of is that is, is basically like the ex- experiencing God mm-hmm. through everything Mm -hmm. everyday things and to so if like that eternal generation of christ if if it's the foundation Mm -hmm. if that if redemptive death is the foundation then i can then i do experience christ in my compost heap Mm -hmm. because it's 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 displaying the principle like the very core of who god is Mm -hmm. like this is how this is the, this is how I'm going to do this. <laughs> I, it ha- just as somebody can look at one of my, something that I've made and learn about who I am by looking at that, mm-hmm. um, you know, the fingerprints or mm-hmm. wh- whatever analogy you want to use. If that, you know, if the, that idea of the internal generation mm-hmm. of Christ, um, it, it's, it's, kind of just I guess it's just for me I think I believe it's possible to experience him in all these things um and and that he's so his his who he is is so vast and broad and Mm -hmm. multifaceted that it's you know that that is at there's just a line that can be drawn from breathing and speaking these things uh, that that's the, the, the way that it's come down to us to understand how that came about, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, I want to go beyond taking it seriously of, I mean, I, I want to go beyond taking it, literally in the sense of it happened you know x y and z but more of like if this is in a way that like a poem and every every word in the poem is a window of of, into something bigger you know Mm -hmm. every word is a like a vibrating song and so it then like all of creation is is a is a vast poem (laughs) um but even more than that you know even more than that like so i like it just goes deeper for me where that it becomes even more than that it becomes um it's not just something about god you know it's it is part of him um and so when I touch 
when I touch the dirt, I'm touching God. Um, so that like the intimacy is increased. Um, and I, it's hard to know how to, I mean, I've written a lot of poems about that, you know, trying to find ways to express that in a way that somehow can give it justice or mm -hmm. a meaning that is much better than just saying it the way I'm saying it mm -hmm. now. Um, and I, and I think that's why I like why agriculture is really important to me. Um, because it is a way of being on the land and being in creation and participating with, with that, you know, um, there, there's, I, I read a, 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 a guy that wrote a book about sheep shearing said something and he just had the quote of like sheep help me live on the land. Like they just helped me to live on the land. And it was such a, great little beautiful expression that I've, I've always remembered that. And it's very true. Um, you know, all these deliberate ways of, of, of encountering, um, God in creation. And even with how I do it with my family, mm -hmm. my children, you know, it becomes, it just becomes broader and more rich. I just think um, our 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 egos, our pride, get so far ahead of ourselves, and that's where the AI is just taking us lightning fast. That if we find ourselves in a we find ourselves in a position where we just need to stop, slow down, and be able to recognize uh, the pace at which creation. Uh, goes. It's a lot slower. It's definitely a lot messier. It's harder. It's rougher. And if we find ourselves, if I find myself in the mentality that um, where I maybe feel self-pity or feel depressed or some other very negative emotion where, where I feel like my life isn't happening how it should or how the Bible says, or um, then maybe I'm way way too far ahead of, and I need to, and I need to spend time in creation, learn how creation moves and runs and, and, and rescale, realign my life more with that. And that's where I get, um, that's where my passion around this comes out because, um, in, in the church and when I was a pastor, it, it used to feel like I'm trying to teach these, you know, the doctrines and the Bibles of the truth at such a at such a pace, and I, and we expect things to happen, like Job's friends, expect things to happen in a certain way, a certain pace, and and God is constantly, if if we're paying attention, wants to bring us back to to His pace, to be in sync, I guess, with uh, the processes of creation around us. So then suddenly, like if I do have, you know, quote unquote, uh, fall or or some. Uh, uh, something that takes me back in life, I'll learn to think of it and see it under this other lens of, no, this is necessary for my growth. It's not a bad thing. It, I, it needs to happen for, for further growth rather than just, you know, the instant tower of Babel that I wish to build, you know, a name for myself. Uh, so it's, for me, it's about being, I think nature is our, is God's psychologist to us. It's constantly trying to teach us 
and to rewire, remap us so that uh, we can have, so that we can have greater health. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's good. I, I think it is, I, I think that with like you talk about the speed and there's something like with, you know, and we may find out like there's probably also, there's going to be really great things that come from the artificial intelligence, you know? Um, I think that, that it's with, with a lot of, with so many things, it's, we all, you know, it's always easy to be reactive mm-hmm. and I find myself like really being reactive with artificial intelligence, but then like thinking like, okay, how do I, I need to pay attention to this. Um, you know, I know how I feel about it in terms of like how I want to make stuff. Yeah. It's not how I want to make things. Um, so, so I'll just keep making things the way I, I make things, you know, but I also, you know, want to continue my practice of withholding judgment and, in this just so I don't, so I can pay attention. That's fair. And I think, but, but like to reinforce what you're saying, because I completely like the, 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 the truth of, or like the, this idea of what does it mean to go slow and why is it important to go at a certain pace, you know? And I, I even think what about things like, what does it mean you know, there's the parable of the virgins and the, the with in the Bible with the oil and mm-hmm. their lamps. There's the ones that used up all the oil, and then there's the ones that saved the oil. And in some ways, I think about that in regards to like the idea of what does it mean to pay attention and to be ready and to to not be reactive, but but to just kind of walk at a certain pace. So when you're walking at a certain pace, when you're living at a certain pace, you're not even, you're not, there may be surprises, but you, there's a way, I think some of it is like, when I realize what's at stake or gosh, I don't, I wish I knew how to say what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Uh, I think about, this is going to seem like a complete jump maybe, but what, there's a farmer that I really admire and he grows, um, he, 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 his name's Klaus Martins and he farms in outside, um, farms in New York and he grows a lot of ancient grains and different things, but his family was, they, he farmed conventionally for a while and then he started getting sick from spraying and he even had like temporary paralysis from some of the chemicals he was using he started this in the early days so he started learning about organic agriculture and thinking there has to be a better way and but he's a brilliant observer and he he studied a lot at cornell and worked with professors there as he learned was learning how to farm in a different way. And so he was, is a real pioneer 
um, in that regard and what he and he's still is but he the of all the great stories i could tell about him what one the one i want to point out right now he was i, I was listening to him talk on a podcast and um the i this, this the idea of efficiency came up and he said you know i i really want to push back against efficiency because when I look at, and I, how did he said it in a way of like, I don't even, I don't think efficiency is one of God's values, you know, mm -hmm. or I don't see when I look at, cause he, that's his thing. He is, he's a, a deep observer and he spends time in his fields looking at the weeds and looking at, and has learned to see that all of these things are telling him something about the conditions in his field. Mm -hmm. And it's, and um, so he's always paying attention to that and learning from it. Hmm. And um, so he so he said, I just don't observe efficiency in nature. I I see abundance. You hmm. know, I see like I see when you you look at how weeds produce. It's like abundance. Nature everywhere is abundance. It's not about he efficiency to him he says efficiency is is basically about lack you know we have a lack of resource resources so we need to be efficient with them so that we don't run out kind of idea hmm. and it's like i don't see that in creation wow. <laughs> it is and and then you look at the parable of the sower and yes. you kind of look at how willy-nilly the sower is just he is he's not being efficient with I, those seeds they're going everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I thought and of that before this conversation, the parable yeah. of the sower and how inefficient it was, but that stood out to me in that respect. It's great, you know, and it, you realize like, okay, there's more going on here yeah. <laughs> than maybe what we always look at when you realize that there's that there's these character traits of of to me that reveals a character trait of God. Yep. Know that he is that that kind of he's a nurturer. Mm -hmm. you know, because that inefficiency, like that abundance of life, you think about you can start to maybe discern some of God's priorities just in that one thing. Um, you know, that or to use the analogy of weeds again and what they're doing and these weeds that we hate like cockleburs and all these things that that come up on bare soil that we've abused mm -hmm. and then we get, we get frustrated with these weeds and then we don't but we don't realize that those weeds are actually god's system for healing the soil and restoring mm -hmm. things and klaus martin has realized that all these weeds he's discern he's learned to discern what is deficient in his soil by the present whatever weed yeah. happens to yeah that's amazing so it's just an open book yep that's amazing uh, yeah and it's so it's like it's all right yeah. there and that's to yeah. me that reveals that reveals who god is yeah. so much like deeply mm -hmm. um, like things about how we can know his it's his personality it's mm -hmm. his character it's not just knowledge about him mm -hmm. it's, it's a real tangible encounter mm -hmm. i think yep and um 
And I think that's why it's important when I, to go back to being, to going slow, you know, that efficiency kind of Mm -hmm. echoes that lack of efficiency kind of echoes that, you know, because we're always kind of in a hurry and looking for the bottom line. And there's, I wanted, there's a, a quote from Wendell Berry that I thought was kind of relevant in this regard, if I could read that. Yeah. And then we'll end with that. Okay. That's excellent. okay. Yeah, no problem. I haven't even been paying attention to the time. <laughs> no, I haven't either. But um, So um, this is from The Unsettling of America. Hmm. And so he's talking about the exploiter is a specialist, an expert. The nurturer is not. The standard of the exploiter is efficiency. The standard of the nurturer is care. The exploiter's goal is money, profit. The nurturer's goal is health, the land's health, his own, his families, his communities, and his countries. Whereas the exploiter asks a piece of land only how much and how quickly it can be made to produce, the nurturer asks asks a question that is much more complex and difficult. What is its carrying capacity? That is, how much can be taken from it without diminishing it? What can it produce dependably for an indefinite time? The exploiter wishes to earn as much as possible by as little work as possible. What I, you know, I think this you know, really resonates with mm-hmm. some of the, of the implications. Um, the nurturer expects, certainly, to have a decent living from his work, but his characteristic wish is to work as well as possible. The competence of the exploiter is in organization. Um, That of the nurturer is order, a human order. Um, That is, it accommodates itself both to, I'm, this is I wrote this down, so I'm encountering my bad handwriting here. <laughs> um, it accommodates itself to both order and to mystery. The exploiter typically serves an institution or an organization, while the nurturer serves land, household, community, and place. The exploiter thinks in terms of numbers, quantities, hard facts, Mm -hmm. the nurturer in terms of character, condition, quality, and kind. Mm. So great. Some good words from Wendell Berry um, that I just, I think resonate well. Very much so. God help us to be uh, nurturers rather than just exploiters. Wow. Yeah. And I think what I would add to, to all of that, with that come like that comes hand in hand with that nurturing is is um is that there's that intimacy mm-hmm. that knowing um that's happening at the same time that's yeah. so um i think that's a big part of that dynamic yeah. for me personally yeah <laughs> that's awesome well thanks jack uh for coming on this show again and uh, real rich stuff here. And uh, 
Uh, I'll put links to uh, your um, Instagram uh, and that uh, in the show notes and at Bombworks, and people can get to see what you're working on. I love the stone uh, picture that you just put up there. Um, Thank you. So that one, that one really is beautiful, and I'm not using that word in the in a flippant sense. Uh, the, the colors and the proportions and all that uh, really remarkable. So Sam, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Good. Thank you for, for the time and for inviting me on and um, letting me uh, share my heart. That means a lot to me. So thank you. Good. Good. Well, if you found this uh, valuable, you can uh, learn more at pumpersickerfaith.com. Uh, I'm, going to just continue to go deep into into different subjects maybe that people have never heard of or explored before but i think it's good it's healthy it's right uh to slow down and to uh truly get to know ourselves in god's word and in, in god's world as well and that's what the goal of these episodes uh is about and why i have guys like like jack uh, on the show so this is uh, uh officially i think episode 80 i don't know 83 84 but um, that's all for now. And remember, guys, don't go stepping no BS.